This podcast is for education purposes only. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of the United States Marine Corps, United States Navy, or any other Department of Defense entity. The material and information presented here is for general information only. All right, John, as always, I have to compliment you on your great hair. Uh, just just your overall demeanor today is just on point. Thank you for who you are. <laughs> as always, I what you thank look you. like. Thank you. And that can be a, you know, your parents saying you should thank us for yeah, for who you are at, thank at this genetics. young age. Thank the universe. You are. Thank the genetics. I appreciate that. Yeah. Dr. Taylor. It's well, very, it's so great it's very kind today. Of you. We're hearing from Paige Blades Hanley. Paige Blades Hanley. She's with us in studio today, John. I just wanted to brag about her. I'm excited. I've, I've read her resume. I am I've excited. I've gone through all this stuff, and I thought, holy cow, she's pretty darn impressive. Rock star. And we're really lucky and blessed to have her here. Absolutely. And Paige was a former Marine. Is that right, Paige? Once a Marine, always a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Oh, <laughs> Did man. he say I'm former? Our, sorry. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> I'm going to get... Dr. Taylor's a squid, I, I everybody. Sorry. Thank you for correcting me, Paige, as a good Marine does. I'm surprised you don't call her a soldier now. No, no, no. I would never I've do made that, that mistake, that's... and I was corrected oh, by a Marine. Yeah, we can't that's do that. Bad I'll never make that mistake again. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, you joined in 1998. Mm-hmm. You were deployed to Okinawa in 2000, the year 2000, 2002, and Kuwait in 2003. And you were honorably discharged in October 2003. Not only was she a Marine and still is a Marine and continues to be a Marine, uh, after she was honorably discharged, she went to school and got her uh, studies in psychology and AA in university studies at psychology, a BA in psychology with a minor in religious studies. Shout out. Shout she was out smart to enough to studies. not make it her primary degree like me. You know, she was intelligent enough to do Maybe that. Maybe she wanted to make some money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then she earned an MA in clini- clinical forensic psychology, uh, which I'm so fascinated by on so many levels. She also is the proud mother of four kids, ranging in ages from fourteen, from one to 14. She's been married to a Marine mm-hmm. for the last 21 years. When she's not working, which she works way too much, which obviously with four kids and a career and all these things, she spent time. She spends time reading books, studying cults, which I thought was a really, you know, that's right up my alley. I'm in a lot of cults these days. You know, as a religious person, we anyway, we won't get into yeah. that. But also uh, getting back into half marathon shape, if I'm not mistaken. And she loves murder podcasts. So, John, maybe this podcast wow. she won't actually listen to, but she might listen to some other ones. Yeah, only murders in the building. And she says this, but I don't agree with this statement. She wrote me and said she knows a little about a lot, a lot about a little, and enjoys talking about pretty much anything. And I highly doubt, as somebody who's done all this work and worked with the Marines and been a Marine and always a Marine, and then married and has all this wisdom and forensic psychology. She knows a lot about a lot. So Paige, a lot about a lot. thank yeah. you so much thank for being Paige. here. Yeah. Uh, it's such a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. First and foremost, I want to talk about your Marine Corps experience as a young lady, and then we'll get into what you do for the Marine Corps. Okay. Um, yeah. So I went to boot camp in October of 98. Like I think most people probably thought I knew what I was getting into did not at all you know (laughs) but after 
yeah, boot camp. I did MCT. And back then it wasn't integrated. So it was only females for boot camp, only females for MCT. And then I did a school in Pensacola, Florida, where I got to be around a lot of sailors. So I was doing class. It was Marines and sailors. We were kind of on the same track together. Mm -hmm. Um, When I graduated there, got sent here to Pendleton for my MOS school because I was working specifically on Hueys and Cobras. Got done with that, got stationed at HMLA 369, where I you know, did a lot of dumb things as a young Marine, which we can talk about. Great. <laughs> Eventually, I met my husband there. That wasn't the dumb thing, hopefully. No. Okay, good. No, or it's <laughs> 21 a years. really long dumb thing. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. <laughs> Just that wasn't the dumb thing. No, no, no. That was the, probably the smartest thing I did during that time. Did you um, say you were a gunner? In the helicopter? No, 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 no. Oh. I worked on electronics. Oh, okay. So I yeah. did all the wire stuff. Oh, yeah. If the box all the was confusing... broken, then I sent it off to somebody else to fix. All that confusing <laughs> wiring and electronics. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So for for anybody who may be listening who knows anything about it, I was um, an O-level tech, an O-level AVI tech, which just basically meant that I actually went out on the aircraft and did all the things. I didn't get to sit in a fancy air-conditioned box and, like, fix stuff. I yeah, actually so got yeah, yeah, the elements, you take know? Take that. <laughs> All those officers. All the high level guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Wait, I'm an officer. Yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of like the the overall synopsis of like my time in the Marine Corps. Well, I would love to hear from your perspective. In 1998, obviously, it wasn't as integrated as it is now. Mm-hmm. What were some of the when you went to Okinawa and when you're with, I assume, a large portion of men? Because mm-hmm. just for our audience to recognize, she is our sapper, our sexual assault prevention and response victim advocate for the Marine Corps. At the young age of, how old are you in when you joined? You were in 1998? Uh, I had just turned 18. Okay, I, just turned 18. Yeah, literally I had my, I graduated high school at 17, turned 18, and left for the Marine Corps. Like that. <laughs> and then boot camp with women, then all of a sudden thrown into MCT. an integrated fighting force. Mm-hmm. And you're one of how many females, let's say, in, in your first, in, um, in your group? When I got to the squadron, and we had plussed up because we were getting ready for deployment. We had a we had a unit on the Mew um, already by the time I got there. By the time I got there, we, I think we were like a couple weeks shy of sending out our advanced body to Okinawa. And then I left with main body. And then there was maybe eight of us females in the entire squadron. Wow. So out of the entire entire unit <laughs> tell me the unique challenges of being 18 in this male dominated culture so to speak that that you had in 1998 um i'll be honest at the time i didn't quite realize what i realize now is is what that was like like really what that meant other than you would hear from people you know you have to do twice the work for half the recognition and i remember thinking initially that's bs i'm a marine I'm going to get what I get on my own merits. I did start to see some truth in that. Um, and so I do remember having to try to do twice the amount of work for kind of half the credit of my my male peers and despising that greatly um, because, you know, you get taught in boot camp, you're a Marine. A Marine is based on your, on your merit as a Marine, not your merit as a female Marine or a male Marine or whatever race you are, Marine. You know, a Marine is a Marine. You go out, you find that's that's not, it's great in theory, but that's not actual, like, practical. So there was that. 
you know, and then there was some some non work related stuff, like because I hung out with a lot of guys because that's who I was with a lot. Mm. When I would go out to like the bars or the clubs in the area, girls would hit on them. Guys didn't really hit on me. And I always thought it was because I would show up and I would be with like five or six guys. I'm assuming looking in, right, their thoughts were probably like, well, clearly she's somebody's girlfriend. Mm. I didn't really get hit on much. And that was kind of a bummer because I was single at that time. And, <laughs> hey, come on uh, now. You know, I would have liked to have been hit on. Uh, I would have liked to have been hit time. on. Yeah. John, you and I had that problem all the time. Oh, constantly. So, Paige, we yeah. can, right, you can relate. look yeah. at us. I can relate. I, I talk about John's dapper looks, but at the end of the day, him and I are, we got wit. That's it. That's it's only wit. Yeah. And old age. Yeah. So that was an interesting challenge. I didn't even suspect that the idea of everybody else is getting hit on, we're dating or whatever, and you're just kind of alone with these dudes, mm-hmm. hoping somebody will come and say hi to you or yep. talk with you. And the only ones that ever did were other Marines. Yeah, and usually from work. You know, <laughs> um, I was in band in high school, and we used to kind of joke about how, like, when you're in band, you only ever date other people in band because those are the people you're with. You know. Um, And it was I found the same to be true within the Marine Corps. I Mm. felt like at least for me, the only people I dated were other Marines. And that was because that's who I was with, but also who would be willing to break the barrier to come talk to me of, you know, of a group of guys. I mean, it worked out for me because that's, you know, my husband, that's how we met was at work and at work, literally at work. We did the same job. And so he checked in to my unit and that's how we met. Hmm. <laughs> 21 years later four kids <laughs> i met my out. wife at work as well not in the <laughs> navy that's interesting and one of the reasons we really wanted to have you on is john and i we've been discussing here at first marine division uh, regarding sexual assault sexual harassment what can we do and we're like, man Paige has experienced it i'm sure in all kinds of she was she is marine obviously was a marine <laughs> Uh, for those years. She's now been in the private sector as well. She's worked in a prison, uh, right? I yeah. recognize that on your resume as well. And you've seen you've seen this issue on a lot of levels, and we were hoping on so many to, to talk with somebody to help people here recognize what's going on or what you're seeing as well. And John, I think you have a question on one of those uh, those aspects about... Well, her. yeah, I just, I'm, I'm thinking about the question of the the Department of Defense is paying. There's a big chunk of money going out to pay for your position. Now, say your position again, just for the listening audience. We don't so want- I am a sexual assault prevention and response victim advocate for the Marine Corps. Okay. And let the listening audience know what that is all about. Most plainly, I'm a victim advocate. Right, Just kind of in the broad spectrum as if you have been a victim of a crime. I am the person that you would go to to get help, to find resources, to kind of help you navigate what all that means. Specifically for me, my position is with regards to sexual assault. So if you've been a victim of sexual assault, you can come to me. We talk about your options, which I don't necessarily need to get into right now. That's for SAPR training. (laughs) But you would come to me and we would have a discussion about what your options are, what are some resources, different things you can do. And then my job would be to, you know, check in with you, make sure that everything's going okay. Are you getting all of the things that you need to help you heal Mm. on on, on this journey that has been forced upon you? Um, And now you're stuck trying to, to navigate it after the fact. The prevention piece, though 
that's the piece that I, as much as I love working with victims, and I very much do, or I wouldn't be doing this. Right. Um, the prevention piece is a part that I really, really do enjoy. And that really right now currently is predominantly just trainings that we give, the fiscal year trainings. Um, I enjoy doing those because, like you said, I have the perspective of having been a Marine in that seat, both as the person who is bored to tears that there is a civilian up here yammering at me, trying to tell me how to live my life, and they don't know what they're talking about because they've never been in my boots. I've, I've had people come to me and be like, this thing just happened to me, and me be 19, 20 years old and not know what to do, you know, not know how to help them, not know what resources were available, which truth be told back then were essentially nothing. Yeah. You, you either mm-hmm. went to the chaplain or you went to therapy. That was really it. There was no, wasn't you know, a reporting system. There wasn't somebody like me that you can go to to be like, what are my options? Where do I go? You know, you would go maybe to the chaplain and that's only if you wanted to talk to somebody yeah. most of the time. And that's why this is one of like the most underreported crimes. Nobody wants to talk about it because there's all that shame that you carry with. So young Lance Corporal Page didn't know how to help her friends. Uh, Much wiser, you know, not quite so 19 or 20 anymore. Page, on the other hand, does know how to help people and where to send, you know, where to send them for resources and, you know, help them navigate who they can and can't talk to, both on base and off base, because there are resources off base that are available to people who have who find themselves in the situation in need of my my help and in younger page where there were very few resources we fast forward to today's age and and the DOD is funding this project and and these positions that are out there what's your guess about as you know about statistics and you know even from your young career as a marine what's your guess about why in the world they would fund such a position Truth be told, it's because Congress told them to. (laughs) (laughs) The listening Um, audience is really not supposed to hear that at this time. That was not the intention of the question. question, Thank you. Thank you, though. That being said, (laughs) Congress wouldn't have mandated it if they didn't see a problem within the DOD at large. Mm. And I can't speak to other branches of service in from that kind of like first person perspective, right? Just kind of what I know from what I've heard or friends I've had in other branches of service. But I do know that this has always been a problem in the Marine Corps. Um, It was a problem when I was a young Lance Corporal. And I know for a fact, just being a part of women Marine groups, you know, full of female veterans who some of them are really open, gratefully about talking about that, because I am definitely one of those people who believes that by you sharing your story, as hard as that could be, you can help other people because now they're like, hey, that person has experienced this thing, um, you know, and they've survived or they've moved forward and maybe they're thriving or maybe they're just doing okay, like wherever they're at in their journey, you know, but you see, hey, there is something after, you know, I don't have to be stuck in this situation right now. I can, I can move forward. Statistics wise, I just know kind of what we give in the trainings, right, about the difference between like, Men and women, when you're most at risk, one of the things that I always try to talk about, too, is is women may have brought to light the problem. It affects men, too, um, 100% across the board. Um, women are not the only victims of sexual assault. Men are, too. Men just aren't as open about it. And I think there's a whole list of reasons we could go into. Some you kind of covered, actually, on 
the last yeah, podcast when you're talking about the masculinity, yeah, you know, yeah, and those right. are all reasons why a man wouldn't come forward. Yeah, That to me, I think is one of the other reasons kind of why it's so important. And I'm grateful that they funded it because not just to help the, to help women who are sort of like the face, right? The face of sexual assault. It's always like a man, you know, assaulted a woman. But the reality is, is that there's any combination of that. And it does happen to men, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they just are less likely to want to talk about it. Mm. For for young Paige, let's say, what were some contributing factors for you talking about it? Or just you didn't have anywhere to go? Or how, did, how does a young woman, and I'm being sincere when I say this, or a young man, get the courage or, or know what to do in these really terrible circumstances because all of us in this room probably if we're being honest have been affected by some form of it be it your mother be it your sister be it your brother be it an uncle friend this this issue of sexual assault and sexual harassment it it literally touches everybody and i've yet to meet anyone and gotten to know their family or that hasn't at least been affected by whether it happened to themselves or somebody very close to them I'm hearing you, we were hush, hush, we didn't know what to do. I, yeah. I've heard that generationally mm. from yes. the 50s, 60s, 70s. We kept it in-house or we didn't explain it or we just wished it away or we didn't talk about it. We didn't do any of these types of things. And I'm wondering for a young page and even perhaps I'm 41, old, you know, Chaplain <laughs> Taylor, how do we convince people to get this out or or for some form of release or justice or help to be when, when it's so pervasive like for john and i were discussing a little bit and sorry this might be a long-winded question with so many other things we're so quick to get people help we're so quick to get them to the emergency room with a broken bone or we're, with this particular issue i find it really interesting culturally for so many years generations in fact of just this kind of this quiet what do we do with that long tradition of keeping it quiet or, or not knowing what to do about it. I think we are making a lot of strides with people talking more openly and not even just necessarily about something that happened specifically to them, right? Like, you know, I may not feel comfortable talking about my own personal experience with my assault, but I might be comfortable talking about, oh, I have a sibling or a cousin who openly talks about his or her assault. So I may feel comfortable talking about that person because they're open about talking about their assault and I think that goes a long way just I always tell people you don't get into this field without having something yeah like even with the mental health field because that's going back that's really where I started was just with mental health you know the running joke is and I'm, I'm sure this is still the running joke with like young mental health professionals right you don't get into the field other unless you're trying to like diagnose yourself for your family <laughs> sure you know yeah. <laughs> like, i've heard of that before you yeah. know like that's the whole point right like yeah. you're trying to diagnose yourself for your family and then you just sort of fall into the career after the mm-hmm. fact because you find out that you enjoy the, the thing so for me that's sort of it was like trying to help the friends that i had in the marine corps the running joke when i was in was that i was like the in-house therapist um and I didn't put too much thought into it at the time, but it was like, hey, if you're having an issue with your girlfriend or whatever, go talk to Blades. She'll help you out. Yeah. You know, and then I would have people like, hey, I was stupid and I did this thing and like now my girl's mad at me. Like, what can I do? You know, and I would help out. And There was a long process where I was like somebody finally came to me and was like, you know, 
if you enjoy that, like maybe that should be your career. And so that set me on the path to try to, you know, Mm -hmm. to go down to be a psychologist, which perhaps for another podcast, we could talk about why my life took a little bit of a turn and that didn't quite happen. But along the way, you know, you kind of fine tune things. And like you said, you know, I worked in prison and I worked in an outpatient clinic out in town and it's everywhere. It's it's pervasive. You sit, you know, when you're with somebody behind closed doors and they feel safe. Okay, well, not behind closed doors in the prison. I wasn't allowed to be alone like that with an inmate, but, you know. But when somebody feels safe and they divulge those things to you, and I'm sure, well, as a chaplain, I mean, everybody in this room, honestly, now I'm looking around, we all can understand that. The things that people will tell you when they're comfortable talking to you. And I would put money on the fact that we've all had people divulge these things to us whether that was the goal of the conversation when we sat down with them initially or not. So even though those people may not be ready, of course, to talk about it openly, but those of us who can, whatever that is, you know, whatever that looks like, should, because I think that's the only thing that's even kind of helped break down the walls for just mental health in general, because mm-hmm. that stigma is still there. The junior Marines, you know, be self-diagnosing themselves all wrong. They don't have an issue with being like, oh, yeah, like, I think, you know, yeah, I was a little depressed or yeah, I think I have anxiety. You know, yeah, I have anxiety mm-hmm. or I might have ADHD. There's no stigma when they talk about it. It's just mm-hmm. like general conversation, you know, like way back when we would talk about, you know, what bars we hung out at. They talk about like what diagnosis they think they might have. <laughs> And there's no way when I was a junior Marine that would have ever been something anybody like talked about openly like that. There would have been a lot of shame and a lot of trust in the mm. person you were talking to to be like, I think I'm depressed or I think I have anxiety. And so my hope is I remember the Marine Corps doing a big push like, hey, it's OK to go talk to like a mental health provider, um, putting people in units to help with that. I think that went a long way, not to say that it's not. There isn't still some stigma because I know that there still is, but it went a long way for it to be less of an issue. Like it's okay to go talk to therapy. It's okay to go to the counseling center. We'll make sure you have the time to go. I hope at some point it's, you know what, you have this thing that happened to you and this is really terrible, but I'm going to do everything that I can in my power to get you whatever you need. Not because the BC says I have to do it. Not because Congress says I have to do it, but because genuinely I understand now Mm. this is a pervasive issue and getting help is the thing that I can do in this position. Right now we have a better opportunity to say, hey, we can't keep this necessarily quiet. We need to go get some help. The stigma of getting help, at least from your perspective, from 1998 to 2024, people will talk about ADHD. People talk about anxiety. I have this or that. And I found it helpful to go find some help here or there. And with the sexual assault question, sexual harassment, I hope what you're saying is that we can talk openly about this as well. Now that we know how pervasive it is, now that we know so many people have been affected by this, the statistics are out there. It's not shocking to anybody anymore that this has happened in a family or something like that. Now let's go get the help we need. Let's go talk about it. I do find in my position one thing that does help I think people open about this is the 100% confidentiality piece. And I'm still finding 
that as helpful. And though I do encourage them, please reach out and get to this, that, or the other who might be a, a type of reporter or someone who you, who's better fit than a chaplain to discuss these things with you. I'm hoping they'll go and do those things to recognize that this, this affects a lot of people. You're not the only one in this. This is something like Alcoholics Anonymous or something like this, where we've just come to the fact of this is a part of our society. And we're not okay with this at all. Therefore, let's get you to the right people it's, or your friend to the right person or whoever it might be so that they can work on the trauma that does come with this experience. And that yes. you, you can't necessarily, uh, John and I joke about this, you can't self-help your way out of certain things. From your perspective, do you find that to be a true statement with, let's say, sexual assault? The self-help by yourself, me, myself, individualism, I, I got this, this old school kind of, with sexual assault, tell me if that's a... Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, and I think that's across the board. Like, there are people who, they come and see me because they need to, because they need the report, you know, but they don't really want to talk about anything else. And that's okay, because in this role, I'm not the therapist. I'm not yeah. the person who's really going to work through that with them anyways. I'm just the person that helps guide them to the right resources. But there's still a lot of, like resistance of like no it's okay it's okay mm -hmm. i'm yeah. dealing fine with it i don't need to go to see a therapist or i don't need to go talk to the chaplain or i don't need whatever resource i offer right um i'm okay i'm okay and i'm very mindful of meeting people where they're at and i think that's from having done therapy knowing there's a point where you should stop yeah. right like you don't want to push Just somebody too them. too far um, so I always, always, always meet people where they're at. Sometimes I, I do kind of joke, like, you're going to hear me say it again the next time we meet about, like, you know, definitely think about going to therapy or definitely think about talking to the chaplain or any other resource they may be kind of, like, a little hesitant about. But I, I think that to that, the point of, of self-help, we're, we're at a place in culture where self-help and advice literature is off the charts and in an information age that we have, the culture of psychotherapy and, and self-help culture is asking women in particular to self-care their way out of inequality and injustices, which is enormously abusive practice to oh just self just sprinkle some rose petals in your bubble bath and you know, self-care, just you need to self-care when there are enormous inequalities and, and social injustices. I'm not against, for the listening audience, I'm not against self-help oh, and yeah. self-care. I think it's great, uh, whatever you practice, but the things that we imply to other people when there are serious things going on in someone's life, that you can't self-care your way out of inequality uh, or injustices. I can actually, I, I can give a personal example on that, actually. I had severe postpartum depression after my second child mm. and I had people that would be like well you should just be grateful that you know she's healthy and oh, she's no. okay mm -hmm. and I mean I was yeah you know yeah. <laughs> I really was yeah. but I didn't um, hate my that, child right that wasn't the problem you know yeah. and so no just you know taking a walk when my husband worked like 13 hour days every day you know I couldn't do that at 10 o'clock at night yeah that was, you know, there were things that I could not do at that time. And but people would be like, oh, well, you should just go do this or you should just go do that. It's like, well, I'm always with a child. I have children on me all the time. Yeah. This is not what I need. Yeah. Yeah. 
Target is not self-care. You know? <laughs> um, this is no slap to Target. Look, right. we need no, their no, no. money I love going for the there. pod. Like, Target's great. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're selling monster drinks. Yeah. Right. But, you know, like, going and doing, like, a half-hour shopping trip, that's yeah. not that's not self-care. That's not self-care. That's lit- very literally family management. That's yeah. chores. You know, yeah, well, it's, it's children not. hanging on to the know. shopping cart and exactly. pulling your hair and dragging your You know, and I spend half the time, yeah. like, keep your hands in the cart. Don't put that, put that back. Yeah, Stop, that don't back. touch that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, but postpartum depression is something that was unexpected that showed up. And this is mm-hmm. similar to what we're discussing. When something Correct. that's uninvited, mm-hmm. unexpected. Unwelcomed. Unwelcomed unnatural mm-hmm. on so many levels yeah. shows up and you're like what do i do with this thing and wow well, you can self-care your way out of that and yep. head to target and uh i don't know join a yoga group right. five minutes a day and <laughs> that that thing that postpartum depression it'll just it just goes away and, and guess who who accomplished it you did and so now you're the best and now you're amazing and now you can write a book about it and be tony robbins and travel the world right. and everything else sure but with something like assault, sexual assault, mm-hmm. this is, again, uninvited. Yeah. Not just total, I have no idea what just happened. Like, why do I feel this way? Why do yep. I feel these 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 things? I always tell people in training, I'm like, nobody wakes up in the morning and is like, you know what I should do today? You know what would be really great? I should go be sexually assaulted. Oh I'm definitely going to make some choices where that happened. Totally. Right. Yeah. Nobody wakes up and does that. Any person that that's happened to, if you you know, if you ask them, they would flat out tell you, if I would have known that that's how it was going to end, I wouldn't have done X, Y, and Z, because they would have removed themselves from that situation. Because nobody picks those things, and that's the thing for me that I always hope to try to kind of drive in. Like nobody picked for this to happen to them. Now they're stuck with the aftermath. Mm -hmm. It is unfortunately their responsibility to heal themselves now, right? To go out and get the resources and go on that journey. That is unfortunate, and that's not fair. But nobody would have picked for that journey. Yeah. You know, nobody, like I said, wakes up and decides that's the journey they're going to go on today. You have to work. You have to work through that. The commands that I work with, the BCs are very good about they want their Marines to get help. They will do whatever their yeah. Marines need to be better. And that, to me, is a big deal. Now, granted, it can't just be the BC. Everybody in the whole, you know, from top to bottom, right, has to have some kind of buy-in or this is always going to be a problem. This is always going to be a thing. There's always going to be a stigma. But I do know that that goes a long way because I know if as a junior Marine, if I had had something happen to me, I would have wanted to know that I would have had support from the command if I decided, hey, I had this thing happen. I'm going to tell somebody about it and I'm going to feel supported in the process. It's a goal should always be in my opinion you know you get the marine the help that they need you can get the marine back into the fighting force and ready to do the mission and ready to go on deployments and be okay you know we did a better job of taking care of the marines in my age range who went to war and came back messed up than we did with like our fathers and our grandfathers right to me this is no different in the sense that like they can move on they can be better they can stay in the marine corps and they can be a fantastic resource and a fantastic asset to your unit. You know, you don't want to turn somebody away or tell them just to suck it up and deal with it because mm-hmm. you don't have the time to, or the, the know-how or the desire or whatever um, to help them. And almost pretend like the problem doesn't exist. And exactly. When you know, it is so We're apparent. fine. Yeah. yeah, our unit doesn't have an issue. That's other That's unit's other problems. Units. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. mine. I know, as you said, like, 
getting, you know, the prevention piece for you is where you're, you find most passionate is being preventative and speaking on behalf of, of victims. I hate the word victim. I do too. Just, I don't like it at all. Yeah. Where there are people who survive things and people who have great courage to survive. And, and the word victim has many different yeah. connotations that I don't agree with. With what you had just said, I think about the idea of culture of shame and blame that, oh, she had it coming to her. Look at how she was dressed. Oh, dear. When you had said that about she didn't wake up one day and decide, oh, I think I'll be sexually assaulted today. That, that's not in people's minds. But there's almost a, an idea within, within the sexes that, oh, she had it coming to her by her behavior or by her dress or her attitude. And what or consumption that, of alcohol or yeah, mm -hmm. she was at a bar, she must have wanted it. We have to get to those ideas in, in the culture of masculinity and um, the culture of maleness and, and what it means to dominate over, uh, over females and, and to have these ideas. But in the civilian world, you are, you are going to hear it. If you're an employee, you're going to take yeah. courses you're going to take a class you're going to listen to a speaker you're going every to fill month, out a questionnaire usually. yeah every month <laughs> every yeah. month yeah and the culture of um sexual harassment and abuse is talked about constantly and you are culpable in when you engage in when you're showing uh your coworker porn on the computer or or you're making sexual jokes that's going to be that's going to be caught and developed we hope anyways it, because yeah. it's it's talked about ad nauseum and it should be and nobody needs to be around an environment where they're uncomfortable in a workspace i'm just wondering in the shop you were in as a young marine and how many shops out there where there's integration of male and female how much stuff goes on of what one might call grab ass. Boys will um, be boys. Boys will, yeah, boys will be boys. There needs to be some kind of responsibility and accountability for those actions. I'm just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. How many conversations that are started and, and not stopped, but started and they keep going by, oh, this is funny. Mm -hmm. And then either other Marines or sailors joining in, but yeah, this is really funny. Because think about the culture and sitcoms and sexual jokes and innuendo and that's just funny in the culture but then you get to be the person sitting here and hearing it and it's it's not funny yeah well, i will say that i definitely played a part in what happened in the shop that i was in tv media the culture of time i grew up in none of that was abnormal i joined a boys club i had to accept how the boys you know behaved and I either accepted and adapted or I would get fapped out. I was the only female in my unit for, well, in my shop, I should say, not my unit, for a long time. And some of that was because, like, a couple of the times anybody tried to grab me, I would throw them against the wall. And then that became funny because, haha, she threw you against the wall. Like, don't touch her. We still had Playboy centerfolds that would come in through the shop as opposed to, like, mm -hmm. just pulling it up on the internet, yeah, right? Yeah. That would go on and they would, like, they would get sent to the shop because it would that would be their mailing address and then they would open it up and then like everybody would comment and they would expect me to comment and so i would comment because you know, that's how i fit in yeah that was mm -hmm. how i yeah. kind of you know 
Marines, we adapt and overcome, right? Yeah. That was kind of my way of adapting yeah. and overcoming. Yeah, it makes did sense. it mean that I was like all gung ho, like waiting for the Playboy every month? It did not. Right. But I knew when that would come in, things were going to happen. And then I was just going to have to accept it. And I was going to have to talk about it and, you know, make comments on what I thought she looked like. Hear the guys talk about different things that they were into and like who they hooked up with that weekend and what that was like. And if you looked in, you would never know that anything ever bothered me. Right. And some of the stuff didn't because I always had a lot of guys around me. So I was kind of used to that. That's not an excuse, but, you know, I, I was kind of accustomed to hearing that kind of stuff anyways. But but there were always things that I was kind of like, I don't care how many people you slept with this weekend. I don't care what kind of weird stuff she wanted you to do to her. This I don't care. But if you saw me, the outside page, you would be like, oh, she's joining right in. She's She's fitting in. Yeah, she's fitting in. It doesn't doesn't bother her because Mm. she's not that girl. Yeah. You know, she's one of us. Mm. And that's the problem right there is, oh, that girl's the problem. Mm -hmm. That that girl all of a sudden is some uh, issue or pariah that we we don't even want to, oh, Paige is cool. Yeah, she's one of the boys. She's one of the the boys, which is absolutely absurd. And we're we're in the one of the boys culture, though. This is the culture Mm -hmm. that we live in. Yeah. And here's Paige is one of the boys. And you may have been um, repulsed on the inside about sexual exploits, but you had to fit in. Yeah. I'm just wondering there was there was fitting in and then there was things you were repulsed by but you didn't say anything you fast forward this many years and there is more information out there for women who are not pleased with the banter going on in the office nor being catcalled and whistled or, or having pornographic images things of that nature seeing pornographic images or they're they're not interested in that and they there is some education and training to not be okay with it in this day and age, but they don't want to be one of the boys, but they're going to be, they're silenced. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be silenced, but they choose silence as a way of fitting in and just bearing it, bearing what might be repulsive and disgusting. Yes. And I'm not sure what you say to those folks who they're just living it. They're living it and they're not coming forward. And what might you say to them? Because they're listening right now. Yeah. They're listening to us talking. Yeah. However you are coping is okay. Because you first and foremost have to look out for yourself. Nobody else is going to do it. We're supposed to in the Marine Corps, right? We're supposed to always like have everybody six right to the left, to the right. Doesn't matter where we are. We are constantly supposed to be watching out for all of our fellow Marines. The fact of the matter is, and especially in a case like this, you do have to figure out, is this what I need to do for me? And if that's how you need to cope for you, if that's where you feel you need to adapt, that's okay. Hopefully, you do get to a place like I did eventually get to, you know, where you can you can flat out tell somebody to shut the fuck up. Because there was a point I'd been in the unit long enough. I had enough of I wasn't that girl that when I did tell somebody to shut the fuck up, they'd be like, oh, oh, shit. Okay, sorry, Blades. You know, and they the would, line. you know, yeah, they would be like, oh, oh, I did something really bad. I should back off. And so it gave me room to kind of like kind of put that shield out to protect the other females that were coming in and some of the things that I had to endure mm-hmm. that I didn't like, that I didn't want them to endure. So when I would see some of those things, you know, and I would shut it down because people would be like, oh, oh, 
I went too far, that helped them. And so if you're in a position, you know, or hopefully you can get to a position where you can do that for other people. And when I got out, I didn't do a good enough job at that time to tell those who were behind me, hey, this is what you need to do to make sure that, you know, you create a good environment for yourself and for other people. And um, I am friends with still with some of the females that came in behind me who had told me, you know, that were like they were benefited from that shield of protection that I was able to provide who didn't realize that they that was there until I was gone. And then so was that. The piece of information, right, to like pass on to somebody else would be as if you find yourself in a position where you are that person, you are able to kind of, hey, knock it off and people listen to you. Whether you're staying in the Marine Corps and leaving the unit or you're getting out of the Marine Corps, whoever is left behind to kind of continue that on and maybe carry it further, right? Make that shield even bigger and broader instead of just maybe the immediate group that, you know, of like coworkers. Yeah. I was young and I didn't know enough at the time. I'm not even sure how much of what I did I even was consciously aware of. That's one thing that I wish I had done better that I didn't really kind of realize I didn't do better, <laughs> you know, until, until you're after reflecting the on it. Yeah. 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 And so as happy as I was that I was able to kind of shield people from some things, I do wish I had done a better job of giving them those tools to then carry that on. Yeah. The frustrating part that I'm hearing from is this behavior was going on. There probably was a staff NCO walking around, an NCO, a gunny, maybe a junior officer. It's floating around. They're hearing it. They're seeing it. Whether or not they're educated or not, where was the kind of, hey, guys, where's where's that person? And I'm interested in this because people will adapt to kind of an alpha, right? So if there's mm-hmm. somebody who has some moral alphaness, yeah. who has a voice, who's been in that environment for the last six months, a year, or whatever it might be, and has some power and authority, and is about of the same age as you, because, you know, you're, you're corporal and your sergeants, you know, 23 years old, yeah. right? These are people that people will actually listen to and can take them on that journey of, hey, guys, we don't do this to each other. We don't say this to each other. And in this shop, this doesn't happen. We're giving, I'm giving you 100 burpees right now. I mean, we'll do that for misbehavior. John and I were talking about this. We'll do this for uniform infractions Yeah. as an example. If I showed up, I'm going to get corrected by my uniform no matter what if I show up and my hair is out of sorts and I, you know, I don't have my bootstraps on to the, t- I mean, if my collar devices aren't properly, I will get corrected. And I find that fascinating that on a certain level, you had to somehow get some cultural cachet within your your boy group, so to speak. After six months, a year, I don't know how long it took for you to say certain things and people actually listened. And that yeah. to me is the frustrating part where we have an opportunity in the Marine Corps and in the Navy with our hierarchical structure to say, uh, you are going to never say that again. If I hear that again, in fact, right now, get your gas mask on. We're doing 100 push-ups. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. We're, and, and this is what we're doing. So I'm interested from that per- perspective. For me, it's frustrating to hear. Even though I know the culture's pervasive, I know the locker room talk, quote unquote, has been accepted by presidents and everybody else. And we're like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. all these types of things. It's it's frustrating for me that on a certain level, you felt like I have to do this by myself. I will say in my shop, we did have some great staff and COs. Take it for the time, right? 
So I was part of like that first wave of females that even came into the MOS. So some of them were learning as we went, right? And then they would sort of take my lead. When they realized I wasn't okay with something, then that was also their line. Okay. So it's not to say that there weren't some good ones because there definitely were. There were also some real trash ones. Like one of the examples that I always give, like any sexual harassment that I got, nine times out of 10 was from a gunny. There's a couple examples, but one in particular always sticks in my mind because, um, so when you work on aircraft, you wear coveralls and safety boots, right? So it's steel-toed boots. I always wore my coveralls really baggy because then I could like layer in the wintertime, <laughs> you uh, know? Smart. And then in the summertime, I could get like breeze going through, sure. right? And I remember walking through the hangar one day and hearing, you need to walk more feminine at work. You need to give the guy something to look at. Mm. Wow. And I knew who it was. I knew the voice. And I turned around and I went, fuck you, Gunny. I can't quite describe how masculine I walked after that, but I made good and sure that I was like not walking feminine, air quote, whatever that means, right? Sure. I'm like, I was in steel-toed boots, not high heels. You know, I was at work, not a run. I'm not a runway model. That was rather pervasive. That stuff, except for one instance, never came from within my own shop. But I think it's because that was where my shield was, right? That's right. where I... I had like, this is what I will and will not accept. This is yes, okay, no, not okay. And I did accept more things than looking back I really should have. There was like a lack of patrolling outside of like their own shops. Um, and I don't know how pervasive that is still. I would imagine it, it is, especially when you're dealing with units that are have that now they're having that first wave, right? That first wave of females coming through into an MOS that's historically not seen any. So they can get away with whatever they want to. They can do the locker room talk. You know, boys will be boys. This is a boys club. Um, I can't tell you how many times when I would say something to somebody about something I didn't like, I would hear, well, what did you expect? And mm. I'm like, I'll tell mm. you what the fuck I expected. It was not this. Because like I said, I put up with a lot that I didn't have to, but maybe I kind of did. Right now, the best preventive tool we have for this program is the trainings, right? That really kind of is it. That and me just kind of trying to go out, meet people, and talk or whatever. And so when I give trainings, I try to pull in my own personal experiences so they see, like, look, this isn't just, I'm not just a talking head. I'm literally not just like a representative of Congress or DOD or whoever, you know, giving this particular training, right? I am telling you because I have been there. I have been on the receiving end of it. If this does happen, this is a problem. And it can be something as slight as you think you're funny by telling her to walk more feminine at work to give the guy something to look at. Up until now, this type of behavior has been okay, hmm. right? It shouldn't have been. You should have still, everybody should have still patrolled themselves, but I'm a big advocate of that. You know, you know better, you do better. Well, now we're learning, right? Now, we now we're knowing better. So mm -hmm. it's time to do better. Yeah, in middle school and high school in the locker room, I was in Pleasant Grove, Utah, <laughs> with a bunch of white dudes and white girls. My and husband's from Utah. There we so go. I fully understand. <laughs> and we're just kind of there hanging out and we're saying things that perhaps we don't we don't fully understand. And I, I my heart goes out to, you know, a 13, 14 year old kid who's just trying to he's saying words that he's hearing and all this stuff. But for that to keep floating around in my brain and in my head and in my words and now that I've joined the Navy, now that I've seen other cultures, now that I have a large group of individuals from all kinds of places on the planet who are teaching me all kinds of things for me to continue in my vernacular of 14-year-old Bryce in middle school 
you know, in a locker room where the showers are completely exposed and all these other things, and we're saying things. If I continue in that behavior, why is that not seen as idiotic? I would argue it is absolutely. That's the dumbest thing I could do is continue in saying certain words, certain things, assuming that a girl's cool with this or that or whatever it might be. That, to me, is absolute idiocy. And I'll give you an example of this where I am appalled. It took me until I was 19. We played a game in middle, sorry, a game in grade school called Smear the Queer. I remember mm-hmm. that game. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, when I say that, people are like, oh my gosh, yeah, I yeah, remember that game. I remember mm-hmm. it. And it was just a ball, and you'd run around, and you'd tackle the, the person with the ball, and they, and they were the queer, so to speak. And, and then at 19, I was out in Germany as a missionary for the Mormon church, and people are like, you can't, what is going on? This is, you can't say this. Like, this is terrible stuff you guys were doing. I'm like, it was? No, I'm going to keep playing that game. I'm going to teach my kids this game because right. it's an important game. Yeah. People would think I'd be absurd. They'd kick me out of the community. I should probably go to jail maybe for like at least six months. Like, yeah. you know, we're going to do some... You know, training on you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just so you don't keep your kids playing this game because that is absolutely offensive, dangerous, all kinds of things. And yet, with this subject we're talking about, we just say, well, you know, that's just how people talk sometimes. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah, women on a runway, you know, whatever. I w- I'm just kind of baffled still that this conversation and the reluctance to change your own behavior and your own vernacular is still floating around and people are like, oh, freedom of speech. I'm like, well, okay, I get it. But there are consequences to speech and those consequences about what we're talking about are generational consequences. If you had a daughter or if someone said that to your mother and you didn't throw a punch on that guy, even as a chaplain, I'd say, dude, why didn't you beat the shit out of that guy? You cannot say that stuff to my mother or my sister or my daughter. And yet we float around as if we yeah. can just say things as, mm-hmm. as men, so to speak, sure. or whatever it might be. And yeah. anyway, I, that was just something that came floating into my head as you were discussing this. What can we do now as individuals first? Because I think as an individual, this is where it starts. When we have like these large scale granite, we're going to feed the hungry in Africa. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your neighbor's starving to death. Like, well, maybe we should. Yeah, let's, we let's go next door. You have kids. Have you fed them this morning? Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> What's the one thing, perhaps as an individual and then as a group of individuals, that you think actually is very helpful and, and, yeah. and can me, at least start us in that path? Let me, let me hijack the yeah. question for a second because when we were. When we were talking about this page earlier, Dr. Taylor, who's just commonly known as Chaps <laughs> or, or Bryce. Thank you, John. You're giving me titles. I like this. It makes Dr. Me Taylor and I were discussing this. <clears throat> and the question I was that came to mind to ask you about, Paige, would be if you were to get a message out there, you know, prevention being your passion, you're going to get this message out to men concerning sexual harassment sexualized behavior, whatever it might be, what would you hope to get out there? What message would you hope to get out there that they actually catch and they actually do something with? Well, kind of piggybacking off of um, what we were just talking about, it does start with you, right? Maybe, Maybe you don't have the pull in your shop because you're a young Lance Corporal or PFC. 
So you don't feel confident to stand in front of everybody and be like, hey, stop, this is unacceptable. But you can be the person who it's not acceptable. You know, you don't say those things. You don't do those things because it does get noticed. Mm. It always gets noticed. Um, I could go down the list and tell you of guys that I was in the shop with that I noticed they didn't talk that way. They didn't behave that way. They didn't participate in those things. Those were the people I hung out with. Those were the people I felt safe with. Um, my husband ultimately being one of them. He didn't participate in any of those things. And even though, of course, I thought he was hot. <laughs> and that was the initial attraction. <laughs> I did notice, you know, he didn't do those things. He didn't talk that way about women. He didn't participate in those you know the things that I was quote unquote okay with he wasn't participating in those things and so I picked up quickly that he was a safe person for me to be around and really that I think is is that first step it's that initial key right you don't participate you don't do those things if somebody's saying something next to you, you can even just be like dude like I don't I'm like no like just not around me okay like whatever it's not for me and you might get some flack for it initially, but most people will be like, oh, that's so-and-so, like, whatever. You know, like, yeah. they don't like that thing or the whatever it is. One of the things that we talk about as Marines, right, is leading by example. And that's a way to lead by example, but also to facilitate change. Um, because change doesn't happen overnight. It starts with the individual Marine. You have to be, like, that leader within yourself. You have to have that moral fortitude to be like, I'm not okay with this. I don't want this around me. Even if the initial buy-in is, you know, I wouldn't want somebody saying, talking like that in front of my sister or my daughter or my wife or my girlfriend or my mom, you know. Mm -hmm. whatever, Whatever it is that you have to kind of figure out within yourself for that, you know, to be like, you know what? Yeah, I wouldn't like it. Even if it just starts with like, hey, just don't do it around me. You know, I remember there were this is it's not the same example but there were guys that i worked with who didn't drink and so we would go out and like when we were deployed we didn't exclude them because they didn't drink they would still come out with us we just knew they were gonna have like soda or water or whatever Mm. you know but they weren't gonna drink any alcohol and that was okay we didn't exclude them because they were different so Mm. you're not going to be excluded because you're not okay with some of the things what'll end up happening is people join it and you know what i i I always drink less on the nights i had somebody out with us who didn't drink Hmm. Hmm. and i don't know if that was conscious or not to be fair i don't have a clue um and i still find myself being that way like my in-laws don't drink so when i go visit my in-laws i'm not bringing a case of wine with me you know Mm -hmm. like i don't drink that whole time that we're there with Mm -hmm. with them um and i'm okay you know, I it, I don't need to do that. And so by you being that example, it will rub off on other people. Yeah. And even if it's just only with you that they stop doing those things, that's something. That's something because now you're creating a bigger safe space for somebody. Yeah. You know, um, it would be fantastic if, you know, you hear the jokes, you shut it down. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is not everybody can do that for whatever reason. You know, they don't maybe have that courage within themselves or they don't know the right thing to say or they're newer and they're kind of worried about you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
it's my sergeant and I'm a PFC and I don't know how to say how, you know, tell him no, that's not okay or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But by people knowing, oh, the word gets around. Oh, hey, so and so like just don't. Don't open your OnlyFans account around so-and-so, you know, yeah. <laughs> like he's going to be all like, it's not OK. And then eventually, you know, it creates that that safe space, whatever that is, whether it's like, you know, just your shop or in this case, like, you know, like your platoon or something, you know, it could just be just as small as your squad. But if that's that's something, everything has to start somewhere. No yeah. great change happened. Like you said, you know, you don't just wake up in the morning and solve world hunger. You know, yeah. you have to look who's starving to my left and my right, who's in the need to my left and my right. Mm-hmm. That's where I need to begin. So it, it, so you've been out to the battalion twice now just to uh, help us along. Part of that message was it does start with us, and it is leadership is, is culpable. Leadership has to step in. And it, if leadership is just ignoring it, um, there are people that are going to follow suit and go, it's okay, this is acceptable. The idea, like what you're saying is like if people, if it does start with me and I could identify with what you're saying and I could identify with the person I'm harming, if I could check my attitudes and beliefs and perceptions at the door, if I can question my attitudes and beliefs and what comes out of my mouth, if I can, if I can question my words and how my words affect other people, then I'm doing an okay job. If I don't do that, if I have no awareness, then I'm just harming people. And there's there's no correction, there's no corrective response. But if I could actually take some initiative and responsibility and accountability for what comes out of my mouth, and recognize I'm not to harm anybody, that's what you're hoping that people can get out of your message and get out of this podcast. Uh, and what you would hope that the takeaway would be Yes, 100%. Because, you know, I I do use the example of the junior Marines. But the reality is, you know, like I said earlier, the staff NCOs seem to not have and I don't like my experience when I was in, it seemed like they didn't have any accountability amongst their ranks. You know, you do have a little bit more power as a staff sergeant to tell another staff sergeant to knock it off. Yeah. You know, kind of watching my husband's rise up through the ranks. There's sort of like that almost like a reset when you Mm -hmm. hit staff sergeant. It's like you start all over again because now you're the lowest of the staff NCOs. Right. So maybe you can't always patrol up. Maybe you can't patrol laterally, but you can patrol down. Mm -hmm. So as a staff NCO, you have, you can, hey, no, knock it off to the sergeant Mm -hmm. below you, you know? And eventually they'll be like, oh, staff sergeant doesn't like it, (laughs) you know? uh." And they'll complain because nobody likes change, especially in the Marine Corps. Everybody does it, kicking and screaming. Oh, human beings in general. (laughs) I try to convince people not to smoke. You know how difficult that is? And they know it. I know. It's so bad. (laughs) But yeah, you know, like kicking and screaming the whole way. But even if you're not feeling like you can, for whatever reason, maybe you're brand new to the unit regardless of your rank. And you just are like, I need to figure out the lay of the land before I start Mm -hmm. like barking orders. You know, the people below you, they don't, they have to listen to you. Mm -hmm. And so you can be like, hey, this is unacceptable. I heard you saying this. I won't put up with it. Because when you allow it to go... Right. It's like the best example is when my when my oldest was little and we were at the pediatrician and my very active kid, always been a very active kid. And the pediatrician was asking me questions about his diet. And he was like, well, does he drink juice? And I said, yeah, I'm probably a little bit more because like we're busy, like he does hockey a lot and we're like coming and going and I'm not always like the best or whatever. 
his pediatrician then turned to me and was like, well, do you drink a lot of juice? And I was like, no, but I drink a lot of soda, which like, I probably shouldn't do. And his pediatrician was like, well, like any habit, it's easier to stop the younger you are. And I, I had heard this before, right? <laughs> At this point, um, I was working on getting a doctoral degree. So I knew, you know, I knew, yeah. I knew, right? Yeah, it sure. wasn't news to me. But for some reason, hearing in that context with regards to my child, right? Somebody yeah. I had more mm-hmm. more of an investment in than my own self, right? At that point, I was like, oh, oh, he's right. Okay. And so my son stopped getting juice. And by example, I stopped drinking soda. That's not to say it was an easy feat. Oh, I sure. mean, mm-hmm. I, child of the 80s, that was like water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you drank whatever was there. Like yeah. it didn't matter, you know? Well, Cindy Crawford. Uh, Pepsi commercials, right? Yeah. right? Like nobody cared Wait, about how I, much. If I drink this, drink. I will like, get the girl, <laughs> right? You know, and then I, I get to look skinny. like Cindy Crawford if I drink Pepsi. Yeah, so, I'll look just like... <laughs> so like, that was a very long, yeah. and and I I go hot and cold with it now, but but I quit drinking soda for a long time, and I only actually started again when I got pregnant, and that was the only thing keeping my nausea at bay was the was right. the soda, and I tried everything to yeah. not drink that, and um, and then I struggled since but that's that's me that's a me problem right um but i try and like like that right you know mm-hmm. the earlier the intervention yeah. the better but you have to wherever you're at you can start today mm-hmm. you know and that's like with anything you were talking about with smoking everybody knows it's bad for you it's not some secret it's your kid at age eight picks up a cigarette you might think <laughs> okay maybe i shouldn't be doing right? this because they model behavior and this yes. is you'll hear Yes. NCOs and, and people call their Marines and they're, say they're, they're kids, right? The yes. ones that they lead. And that's the same uh, example that I would have for that. I always joke with parents, stop parenting. Like, what do you mean? I'm going to go, well, parent yourself. Yes. They're going to model your behavior because these young people are learning and trying yeah. to, you're this Marine who's a yeah. staff sergeant or you're, you've been to war, you've been deployed, you've, Please, you know, model behavior. And even if it sucks, even if it's hard, even if you might have to change your uh, drinking habits, let's say, let's say with alcohol or smoking or how you talk about women or how you talk about sex or how you talk about these things, this is going to be challenging. But no doubt about Mm -hmm. it, when you think about my legacy piece, like these were the Marines I trained. And I know they care a lot about that. Uh, Just with same with my kids, right? Mm-hmm. These are my kids, yeah. and every time they make a mistake, I'm like, oh, shoot, that's probably because of me. Right. <laughs> and on a certain level, it is. But uh, another, yeah, but I just work on parenting yourself. This is the key. And the people will model it like, huh, that seems fun. Surfing seems fun. Huh. Yeah. Chaps does it. It seems like, I mean, yeah. he's old. I guess let's go try that. I don't know. Or whatever it might be. And they seem to just kind of naturally go about it rather than you better do this or you're going to burn in hell or whatever else. That that usually doesn't work. So. I agree. I fully agree. Because like you said, you know, the, the higher up you get, the more it's like my, you know, my kids, my Marines are my kid. Some of them would not like it if they heard their son say or do some of the things they let mm-hmm. their their Marine kids say and do at work. They would, you know snatch them up and rectify that situation right away but then they allow it to happen at work modeling behavior is is important and i think it's a lost skill because people don't put a lot of stock in it even though it's i think it's it's a it's important because people do look up i think we all kind of we're not that important they're not really looking to me for and as a leader or as an example even when they really are um because there's always 
for the most part, right, there's always somebody above you in the Marine Corps. So why they're not really looking to me, they're looking to somebody else. Yeah. It's okay if I let something slide because like whatever, you know. And nobody's perfect. You're gonna make mistakes. Yeah. You know, I joke all the time, even in this field, even doing what I do, I will still catch myself sometimes making a joke or whatever. I'm like, you know what? Actually, no. No, I sh- that's that's really not something I should say. But that's helpful you know? to model, right? There. Yeah. And I will and I I always try to be the first person once I'm aware that I've done something, whether I've like misunderstood something or I just was in a moment, wasn't my best self. Even with my children, I'll go back. I apologize to my kids when I've done something wrong, yeah. which is a thing that I know you know, people are like, why you don't apologize to your kids? Oh, like, I, I apologize all the yeah. time. I would want somebody yeah. to apologize to me if they did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so if I like, you know, if I have a moment, I'm having a bad day, one of my kids says something to me and I like snap at them. The moment I realize what I've done, and it's not always in the moment. Sometimes it, it's a little right bit later and then I'm like, oh, like oh, I shouldn't have done that. And then I'll go back. And it doesn't matter the time that's elapsed. It's a genuine apology, as long as it's a genuine apology, right? And not like, a, oh, I'm supposed to because I was told to, you know, but I give my children the genuine apology and you can see how grateful they are. Oh, okay. Mom had a weak moment, but she's come back and she said, sorry. She recognizes that that wasn't okay. That shows them that, A, you're never too old to be wrong yeah. and you're never too old to admit that you've done wrong. It also reminds them like, hey. I'm still human too. I make mistakes. I'm trying. I'm learning. You know, kids don't come with a manual. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's trial and error sure. and you just do the best that you can. Yeah. But when you make the mistakes and you're aware of the mistakes and you own the mistakes, that is a huge step forward. And, and you know, it keeps morale high because when people are like, oh, it's okay. You know, I was saying, you know, Miss Page made a mistake. She was like, oh, she made a mistake. She apologized for it. So and she's supposed to know everything, right? And she's supposed to be the one who knows like the right and the wrong. Then it's okay, not just for me to make a mistake, but for me to go back and own that I made the mistake. I do see that sometimes amongst like the peer levels, and I understand that there's sort of that whole I'm this rank and I'm right all the time because I have to be right all the time. And there are times where, yeah, for sure, like you're talking about strategy and mission capability and that, yeah, yeah, that needs to be, there's, that has to go that way. When Mm -hmm. bombs are going off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? If we are here and you made an off color remark at a formation, there's nothing wrong with going back and be like, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. I made a mistake. I let myself, you know, I, I lost myself for a moment or whatever. Most people, right, are going to be like, oh, oh, okay, right? Like, it's okay for mistakes to happen. Mm-hmm. You just go back and own them. And I've yet to have somebody come to me, you know, that shows that you're weak because you go back and, you know, apologize to people. I've no. never had anybody say that to me. In fact, if anything, it's been the opposite. It's been like, oh, my goodness, you you openly admitted you, you messed up, you know? Yeah. They like, appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. There's an acknowledgement uh, from from the other person who did wrong or said wrong, yeah. Well, Paige, sadly, I would love to talk with you for hours and hours <laughs> yeah. and hours, just it's your background. Great. It's been a lot of fun. Your passion for what you do. Yeah. For anybody listening in, in First Mardiv, you know, First CB, you are available. She is an absolute advocate for you regarding sexual assault and all 
we want you to do is reach out, help out. Let's let's break. Let's help prevent these as much as possible. Obviously, but if you are sadly somebody who's had this experience, please please reach out. Let's 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 keep talking about it. Let's keep discussing about it. And what I heard from you, Paige, today is it starts with with me. I gotta really navigate the stereotypes of women perhaps I have in my head or how I talk about sexual experiences or how I discuss certain things within uh, my professional setting. And, and so that not only women but men also feel safe, feel confident and feel comfortable knowing that, hey, look, certain types of things aren't going to fly here. They just aren't. And let's root this stuff out. Just like we've kind of been open to admitting I have anxiety. Yes. Right now, hopefully, we can transition to a, a, a more safe environment where sexual assaults will go down, <laughs> not up. Sexual yes. harassment will go down, not up. And and if we make a mistake, let's say with a sexual harassment type of comment that you may not own up to it, admit to it, check your peer groups. That's what I'm hearing from. <laughs> yeah. Make sure within your own peer groups in, in the military and everywhere else that Let's check ourselves. Let's make sure we're open and honest with each other and, and, and speak truth uh, when something affects you. And, and, and let's not be okay with boys will be boys and all that kind of nonsense mm-hmm. of the past. Got to yes. challenge culture. You yeah. have to really challenge And culture. as Marines and sailors, yeah. that's exactly, I would argue, what we signed up to do. Yeah. And we have the great opportunity to do this because we're in an environment with all kinds of unique personalities, people of different ethnicities, different color, different sexualities, and we're not in our little home in Utah anymore, mm-hmm. right? And we can become Marines. We can become sailors and become really good people and be a sexually safe culture where, where women and men can walk around and know that their Marine next to them that certain things aren't acceptable. So thank you yeah. so much, thank Paige. Thank you, Paige. Oh, you're Can't welcome. wait for you to train <laughs> us again. Yeah. And I hope you had an enjoyable experience. I did. Thank you very much for having me on. Good. Thanks, Paige. Thank you. <laughs>